Okay, first Timothy. Close my eyes so hard I can't see now. Does anybody have any has anybody studied the book of First Timothy, First Second Timothy much? Other than it's a letter that Paul wrote to Timothy? Nope. <laughs> I really like it because I feel like it's very it's a pastoral letter. So Tim, Paul is a Paul is charging Timothy to pastor the church at Ephesus. And I've just in the last two years or so, as I've grown in my faith, I I didn't know when or how or where or why or what, but I knew that at some point this was going to happen for me. So I've I've been drawn for the last two years to to these pastoral letters. So I'm going to read the the background of First Timothy as written in my study Bible. The Apostle Paul probably wrote this letter to Timothy in the mid-60s A.D. during a mission trip not recorded in Scripture. This trip took place after the events described in Acts between Paul's first and final Roman imprisonments. The theme of this letter is that the gospel leads to practical, visible change in believers' lives. The true gospel, in contrast to false teaching, must and will always lead to godliness. The purpose of this letter is that Paul wrote 1 Timothy to advise his co-worker Timothy about issues in the church in Ephesus. False teachers are the main cause for this letter. Their teaching apparently involved incorrect assumptions about the law and not allowing marriage and certain foods. Paul's real concern is with the results of the false teaching. For example, it promotes mere theories over solid truth. It also leads to arrogance and greed. Paul focuses on the fact that true Christianity is shown in lifestyles shaped by the gospel. Those whose lives are not shaped by the gospel have turned away from the faith. And the key themes of the book are that the gospel produces holiness in the lives of believers. There is no legitimate separation between belief and behavior. Thus, those who profess faith but show no progress in godliness should question their spiritual health. Worldwide evangelism is essential. It is rooted in God's own evangelistic desire. Another key theme, one key evidence of receiving the gospel is proper behavior in corporate worship in matters like evangelistic prayer, unity, modesty, and submission. Key theme number four, church leaders should be people whose lives are shaped by the gospel. Number five, appropriate honor is a key element in how Christians should relate to one another in the church. Number six, everything God created is good. It is to be appreciated but not worshipped. And number seven, it is important to protect the purity of the gospel. Would anybody like to read 1 Timothy chapter 1? All of it. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and damn, let me restart. And restart it's hard, isn't it? Bible. It's hard, isn't it? Got to get my Bible <laughs> Paul, an apostle of Christ, Christ Jesus, by the command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope, to Timothy, my true son in faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. <clears throat> As I urge you. When I went to Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain men not to teach false doctrine any longer, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. These promote controversies rather than God's work, which is by, which is, which is by faith. The goal of the command is love, which comes from pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. 
Some have wandered away from these and turned to meaningless talk. They want to be teachers of the law, but they do not know what they are talking, <clears throat> talking about or what they so confidentially affirm. We know that the law is good for one's use if one uses it properly. We also know that the law is made not for the righteous, but for the lawbreakers and rebels, the ungodly and sinful, the unholy and irreligious, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for adulterers and perverts, for slave traders and liars and perjurers, and for whatever else is contrary to the sound doctrine that conforms to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is the entrusted, which is entrusted to me. I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who, get, who has given me strength and that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I once was a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full accept acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example of those who believe on him and receive eternal life. Now to the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Timothy, my son, I give you this instructions in keeping with the prophecies once made about you, so that by following them you might fight the good fight, holding on to the faith and in good conscience. Some have rejected these and so have and so have shipwrecked their faith. Among them are Hymenaeus yep. and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan to be taught not to be blasphemy. That last verse is heavy. What what version is that? NIV. Okay, so verse one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul first makes it known in his letter to Timothy that he is an apostle and that he was chosen by God. His apostleship was a command from God, and Paul takes this command from God very seriously, which is obvious to us. I like a lot of questions in Bible study because I think... It, I just, I just like to talk these things out. So my question is, do we take God's... So if this was a command from God that, that Paul was to be an apostle, it just made me think, what has God commanded us to do in Scripture? And do we take, do we take what God commanded us to do very seriously? Or as seriously as, as Paul has taken it here? Well, I know personally, I don't. I mean, and when God you know, spoke to my heart in the day I gave my life to Christ, you know, he would gave me the same command then that he gave Paul, that he has given Paul to go out and, you know, preach gospel. Am I as bold and active as Paul is? Definitely not. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm, I'm one that's very hard, but, you know, but the, I try and do a lot of things that I call like as a silent witness. I mean, when I was working in the office, I would give Bible verses up on my cubicles and stuff. Um, 
So it was more of a, a silent witness than, you know, one that can go out and talk to people easily. Um, so I've not been one. But as far as also doing what he commands us or even asks us to do, if you don't want to be like, look at it as being commanded and told what to do, but asks us to do, I could probably, well, I know I can do a whole lot better job than what I did. Me too. <laughs> Anybody else want to share? I would think that each and every one of us has a reminder here. You know, every other verse is like, um, um, youch, that hurt, you know. We don't always do what we want. And sometimes, well, I think it was him and Paul that said, what I want to do, I don't do, and what I need to do, you know, what I don't want to do, I do, and what I need to do, I can't, you know, or I don't. I know you can't see my notes, but I have the exact same note on here. Romans 7. And I said in my notes, sometimes our inward desires and our outward reality don't align. Like, I, I love that I'm able to... I find it easier and easier to do this in a church setting, but outside of the walls of the church, it's so hard. Like... People, you can be out in the community having conversations with people and you can see people's desperate need for the gospel and still fail to give it to them some, for some reason out of your own personal fear or whatever it is. I don't, I don't understand it. But neither did Paul. He says, I don't do what I do want to do and I do do what I don't want to do. And what a wretched man I am. You know, who will do, I've said it every Sunday for the last month. Who will deliver me from this body of death? So I'm right there with you. Though I find it easier to do it, it's easy to do it in the walls of the church. I've, I've find. Oh, we don't. But people inside the walls. We have a tendency in someone, I can't remember who it was, said this years ago, we've got to remember that they are not, when we try and present the gospel to people or we feel like we need to, but we don't, we can have a fear of rejection. We've got to remember they're not rejecting us. They're rejecting God. Mm -hmm. So when we can take ourselves out of the equation, then it's easier to talk to them because we've taken ourselves out of it. But that's one of those things that's easier said than done for me. So what do we do when we do fail to take God's command seriously? Ask for forgiveness. Say, I'll do that tomorrow, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> and then we pass up again. <laughs> Sanctification. So, Paul goes on to address Timothy in verse 2 as his true child in the faith. Paul has charged Timothy to lead the church in Ephesus. I love this mold that Paul left us. It's actually the mold that God showed. God showed us the mold, but it was through the story of Paul. Once Paul became the leader in the Lord's church, he realized that he must raise up leaders. So... I just think in my own life, I have a Paul in my life. Do any of you all have somebody that really was the initial discipler for you? Anybody want to share any details of that? I'll share mine first. But at, at our old church, this, and I've probably said it up here, my neighbor, he wasn't my direct neighbor, but he lived right down the street. His name was Mac. And he is, I don't know how much older he is than me. He's... Maybe he's 45 now, so he's 12 years older than me or so. And he's just 
the most bold evangelist that I know. Like he, he obviously knew the first time he asked me if I had faith in Jesus that I didn't, but he consent, he continued to persist. And eventually when, when my life was, my life was never in total shambles or anything, but I just got to a point where I didn't, I didn't know what I needed to be doing. And he was the guy that I would go to for whatever reason. And he just kept pointing me to Jesus. Even it made no sense to me, but it seemed like it made a lot of sense to him. So I just kept going. I just kept going back and he kept feeding me and feeding me and feeding me. And finally it started clicking. And still to this day, he's, he's the guy that I would call. Um, so this book of first Timothy and first and second Timothy, it just, much of it feels like my own life. And I think that's why I've been drawn to it so much, just because I consider myself his Timothy. You know, he's been raising me up this whole time. He, he would ask me like, do you think one day you'd be interested in ministry? And I said, I, well, I mean, I feel like if I'm gonna take my faith seriously, and really live it out. I don't really have much other. Op- I don't have any other options. That's what I'm going to have to do. <laughs> That's what I'm going to do. So he pointed me to seminary. He's like, just talk, start taking some seminary classes and uh, try to deepen your knowledge that way. And so I did. I just listened to what he said. And he he also had a Paul. His name was Jamie. So Jamie Mac Tim and Jamie one at one point in Mac's life. Jamie, Mac decided, Jamie knows Jesus. I want to know Jesus. So this is sort of dangerous. Maybe I may not advise everybody to to do this, but this is what Mac did. He said, if Jamie knows Jesus and I don't, but I want to know Jesus, I am going to do everything that Jamie tells me to do. And he did that for like two years. Jamie would say, you should uh, serve in the in youth ministry. You should do this. You should do that. And he said yes for like two or three years, which is terrifying. But um, I was just thinking about that today, how extreme that is and how I didn't do that with Mac. I didn't do every single thing he told me to do, but it all worked out for God's glory anyways. And I was just, I didn't write any of that down, but it was... I think I was just reflecting on the fact that Mac was my Paul and he's been molding me. Once he realized that I was going to take my faith maybe more seriously than some other people that he'd encountered, he, he pushed me into ministry sort of like Paul did to Timothy. So does anybody else have any Paul stories? I see you back there, Mary. You're ready. If you look at Timothy for me, he was just a teenager and they studied I mean Paul guided him as a teenager if you look at the dates in in the Bible and he followed Paul so Timothy was a young man just like the young people in our church they need strong people to, to reach out to them well, I've thought about this too. I haven't had a Timothy yet, but I, based on scripture, I need to have one. I'm just too young yet to have one. I'm still a Tim. I mean, not that I can't have a Timothy already, but I'm excited to see who it's going to be because uh, I think they're here already, you know, which is exciting. Well, the way you can connect with 
they contribute of the church here. You know, as you're growing and they're growing, you know, it, it could be one of those could be your Timothy, but I mean, and I was talking to Carol on the way coming down, um, just the way you interact and you want to get to know the people of the church here. It is a true blessing because that's something that predecessors did not do. And it's so it's a true blessing. And so you are you are being our Timothy. No, you you are being our Paul. Let me put that. You are being our Paul because we've needed this for a long time and you are bringing us back together. I'm probably your Timothy trying to be your Paul. <laughs> Eventually, I'll rank up there one day. I don't know. I'm already saying what a wretched man I am. I, and I, I consider myself the chief of sinners as well. So maybe. I was going to say, I think our, our rules change a lot. You know, um, I've said it so many times in the last couple of months. You know, you, we know we age, and, and, you know, it's just things that happens to us. But my goodness, you know. It's so scary at times, but then it's a blessing on top of it, you know, because you're constantly thinking, okay, I have a lot watching me. I have a lot of, I have a big job to do, you know, and I keep thinking about, but I, I mean, I, I don't know, it was about maybe a year ago, Dale and I was standing somewhere and we were talking and all of a sudden we both looked at each other and we went, oh my goodness, we're the old people now. You know, it's like the realization of it, you know, is like. I realized it right when I got here. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it, you know, when when you're growing in the church, and, you know, I started, I mean, I was baptized in this church. You know, Dale was baptized, and he was younger, of course. I was a little older. I was a teenager when I came to Bellevue and stuff, well, preteen. But when you look back at all those years and all those people who mentored you, mm. like you said, it changes. It never stays the same person. But there is people who stick out in your mind, and you you have that little person telling you in your conscious that hey, you know you need to do this. I mean, Luella was my Sunday school teacher at one time, and I could still hear her telling me something I need to go do, you know? Now, the example will be, I don't know, somebody comes up to me and asks me a question, and it's like, oh, she told me this would happen one day. I didn't, I didn't listen then, I was like, I didn't know, I didn't think about it. So I think that's, you know, the realization of it is like, wow, you know, the, the responsibility, I mean, the, the fields are ready for harvest, you know, and we have to keep that in our minds always that, you know, I can remember back then it was we went door to door to people. You know, I had many people shut the door in my face. Did I let that stop them? Nope. I go back and do it again. You mm -hmm. know, but you don't do that as much anymore. You know, now is that wrong? I don't know, but I don't know the answers to that other than Bible school. Those kids that I minister to over at school seeing me here and they oh now you work here <laughs> I'm like but not yeah, I've always worked here but you know the kids and the kids mine I worked at the school and one of them looked up at me 
last week and says, oh, now you work over here. <laughs> I was like, yes, I do. You know, what can you say? But they're, you know, the growth there is just unreal. And the, the load sometimes is really heavy and you think about it and you think, oh. But again, the far said, you know, you have that heart, you have that back to let's get, let's shake these hands, let's get these people, you know, let's learn everybody. Let's, I mean, those who aren't here, let's go get them and bring them in, you know, because there's a lot of it out there, you know. Mm-hmm. So I think that's cute that you say that about the roles change because growing up I had a lot of positive female women in the church, mentors and things like that. And you know, I used to think they were just like perfect, you know, that their wives were perfect. They were just such godly people, you know, they kept their private lives private. But then growing up and I realized that their lives weren't as peachy as I thought, you know, and you just have a different respect for them when you get older, you know, and remember that when you are mentoring to the little kids or just the the people below us, you know, that, I mean, younger, but just how much your influence can be. And even though our worlds might be crashing down, all they see is the godliness in us. You know, so I just thought that was a cute point that you mentioned because I never thought of it like that. You know, Sunday was a trying day for me. I got it. I was sitting in the back row and somebody pat me on the shoulder, and I turned around and Miss D Davis. She said, "Mary, look who's here," and I looked at Nick. He was one of my Sunday school children. I always call them my Sunday school babies. But just to see him, his mother in law said, well, You've done a good job with him. And I thought, No, I really didn't. I'm just, it was good to see him. He's a grown man now, and he's down to godly wife and a godly family to go into. So it was, it was good to see him and, and to see what he has become in his life. Same as Crystal. So we have to, we have to be on guard that we teach them the Bible and not teach anything else but the Bible. That's my opinion and I am an old person. I'm not afraid to stay. <laughs> Well, you said something too that made me think of something that's been really productive in my life is that people's lives aren't perfect. And there have been people share things with us, Heather and I, all sorts of different things. Showing how, you know, you hear people talk about how they, how Jesus got them through something. You know, people speak in generalities like, God got me through it. Well, that's easy to say. But when somebody tells you the story of something awful that they got through and you let's just use marriage trouble for example somebody shares that story with you about infidelity or whatever and and they they didn't get divorced they're still married and they've been married for 12 years okay their faithfulness to god first and to one another outweighed 
the sin and they got through it. Well, that people need to hear those stories, you know, but you got to be careful when to share them. And there's a time and a place and all that. But we, I think authenticity in my life has allowed, um, allowed me to grow far greater and faster than trying to pretend like I'm something that I'm not because I'm, I'm like Paul. I, I'm the chief of sinners, you know, and I'm not going to pretend like I'm fight. I fight sin all the time, but I'm not going to pretend like things go well for me all the time because they don't. And people need to, if you, if we've got stories and we've got testimonies, we need to be sharing them in a safe manner because it could get that it could get dangerous. But that has been so encouraging to me to hear, you know, people getting through cancer or whatever their testimony is about that or or just whatever it is. It's it's part of our story. All right, let's move on. Verses three through seven. So a few things sometimes though it's not one fall in your life. Sometimes when you're going through a particular problem, there's somebody that steps in and helps guide you through it. Then after you get through that problem, somebody else or you fix it happened very soon. You're back on your own again or how you want to do but when when you're down and need help, sometimes there's some other person steps in that you never thought about being helpful in any way. Give you a, a lift and guide you through it. Yeah. Yeah, people just show up at the, at the right time. And at the same way, somebody trying to go through withdrawal from drugs. Sometimes somebody that's been there, been through it, can help them more than mm-hmm. somebody that hasn't been through it. Right. So they know. But after they get cured, that person may or may not still be real close to them. Yeah. Well, I think that's how we can have a bigger impact. Like I said, we don't want to be overly authentic and we never want to glorify sin, but Christians are considered hypocrites because they pretend to be one way when they're a lot of time in most ways we're just as sinful as everybody else, but we try to pretend like we're not. And that's that's dangerous. But, but that's one advantage of coming to church and being with that group. There's if you have a problem, there's usually somebody there to help you mm-hmm. more than the person in the bar. If you're <laughs> going to there for help. Yeah. There's a lot of wisdom in forsaking out the assembly. What'd you say? What'd you say? There's a lot of wisdom in, in the word of verses forsake not the assembly of yourself together. It sounds like you can get a lot of comfort and guidance. And then Paul reminds you through that, that he's human, he fails too. So when we fail, we don't have to say, well, the Lord's going to give up on me because I failed. Mm-hmm. All right, verses 3 through 7. Paul is urging Timothy, let me read them. As I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
Certain persons by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Assertions, I'm sorry. So, in these verses, Paul is urging Timothy to remain in Ephesus to fend off false teachers. Paul says that people in Ephesus were devoting themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than stewardship from God that is by faith. And I just, I think I saw this note somewhere, but proper, proper biblical teaching results in practical good behavior rooted in love, that love must come from the internal spirit-worked changes. And verse 5 is the central... Verse 5 is central for the whole letter. And it says, and I already read it, but the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. So in thinking about these verses, I, I think what they were dealing with was people were still teaching the law and just couldn't get off of it. But it made me think, like, what are the biggest false teachings that we deal with here, you know? And you all can share whatever you think are the biggest false teachers, but I think I think a lot of things. I think our emotions become can become our God. Like we try to become our own God. If something we as Christians don't necessarily do this, but the, our culture, if something feels right, we should go with that. Okay, if it makes us feel happy, or if it makes us, you know whatever, insert whatever. And if God's such a true loving God, He's not going to punish us. Yeah, right. Yes. <laughs> False. <laughs> I'm just, I'm just thinking, I'm wrapped up in my own oh, thoughts. Sorry. No, it's okay. You need to track. No, you didn't. And I think there's also certain things that people say that can do more harm than good. For instance, God is good. Which he is good. God is good. But if it's just a random person says, God is good, you know, you, you meet somebody at the dollar store, God is good. You're right. But are you forgetting that he's also, uh, he's just and righteous and pure and the judge of eternity? We're only going to outline that he's good. You know, what if, what if things aren't going good for you? Is God still good then? You know? So, so that person that says God is good or wears it on a t shirt or whatever, I'm not saying don't wear God is good on a t shirt, but. A person that just says general things like God is good could be as lost as the most lost person on earth. You know, they could be doomed for hell, but but we think because we say God is good that that means something. It it in, in a lot of ways it's nothing but just sound coming out of somebody's mouth. Um, so these are just I just thought of that as like a really passive false teaching like don't you think a lot of it's all evangelists yeah plenty of them you had something what was that's it that's kind of what first came to my mind <laughs> just the TV in general yeah if you've got a hundred dollars I can make it that right <laughs> yeah buy my book I've written 12 of them. I couldn't get the message across the first four times. <laughs> you know, we already have a book. I, I see all these. It's like the bigger the... I see it all the time. And I don't think these guys are... Some of them are, but like these mega church people, 
it's just a trap because you get bigger and you get bigger and all of a sudden you're just promoting books and it's like we already have enough books calm down with the books i'm not saying that they're all wrong but it's just a dangerous game to play with the money and the books and the i don't know There's one of the, I'm not going to mention her name just in case you all have her book sitting on your coffee table. But there's this one lady, I heard her, and she's bit, she's big, everybody. She's way up here. And I, I was, I knew, I've heard a lot of people, I don't listen to false teachers. So, you know, somebody says, Joel Osteen said this. I mean, if they're charging him, I'm not going to investigate. You know, I'm just not going to listen. But I did go out and listen to this lady for like five minutes one day. And she said, I'll never forget it. She said, God will not use you if you have a negative attitude. And I thought, has she ever read the book of Jonah? This guy ran the whole opposite direction. You know, he will not use you if you have a negative attitude. So just be positive and everything will go great. No, it won't. Why are you telling people that? There's thousands of people in this crowd. She's writing books. People are buying them. Just read this one. That's all you got to do. There are good books out there, but you just got to be careful. Any other faults, Steve? You got to remember that the Bible is the only book when you read that the author is with you. It's all, yeah, it's in 2 Timothy, I think. All, all scripture is God breathed and is profitable for teaching and a bunch of other stuff. Rebuke. So the other books are just that, a book. Yep. Story. Another one, verse, let me see here, verse 6, I have written down verse 6, really makes me think of Jehovah's Witnesses. Certain person by, by swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion. Uh, I don't know if that makes sense, but there's a lot of, there's, there's a few Jehovah Witness halls or whatever they're called around us, and there is... It's strange to me because they have all sorts of biblical knowledge, but they interpret it in a different way than we do. And it that confuses me. You gotta remember when this was wrote too. A lot of the converts was Jewish all their life. And if you grow up believing something for thirty years and here you come off with it altogether different thing and said, Now you don't have to keep all these laws 
your confidence is, I got to shoot the ball. Mm-hmm. I've been taught that for 30 years. Yeah. I see, I was raised Catholic, and I, I'd left the Catholic Church just sort of from teenage rebellion more than anything. I thought it was silly, and I didn't want to be there, so I stopped going. But um, I see that, what you just said, in a lot of a lot of Catholics. Like, no, I'm not, I don't want to, I know there's a lot of Catholic people around in this church, so I want to tread lightly, but... When when your when your grandma has done it and and your parents have done it and they've led you up that same way, I've seen a lot of adults come into Bible studies and have all kinds of questions, and they really are trying to deepen their faith, but they cannot get past the culture that they were raised in. Just like just like the Jews, they're taught the law forever and ever and ever, and they don't want to turn away from it because. It gives some comfort, you know. And there were three or four churches that believed in idols and everything else in the period that he preached it in, too. Mm-hmm. And I got a feather that goes on six, with verse six, what you were saying a few minutes ago. Um, but then it says, um, arguing about details of the Bible can send us off on. Interesting but irreverent, irreverent tangents, and cause us and cause us to miss the intent of God's message. The false teachers of Ephesus constructed vast speculation systems and argued about little minor details of their holy imaginary ideas. So they were taking like the little tiny things and just making them in, and causing people to doubt what God was actually saying, just to cause a ruckus. So, I mean, and having a false teacher, like, taking a verse and trying to mean it, like, an eye for an eye, you know, like, if you, you hit me, I'm, the Bible tells me I have the right to hit you back. But that's not what the, it's teaching us. So, but, you know, you just got to read and know the Bible so you can discern between the false and, the, and what is true. Mm-hmm. All right, verses 8 through 11. Now I know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality, enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine, in accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. Okay. Regarding sound doctrine, the notes in my Bible state that sound doctrine includes the idea of healthy or health giving, and false doctrine spreads poison throughout the body. Sound doctrine brings life, and false doctrine promotes sin. Think about it this way. There is one unforgivable sin which is not believing in Jesus as Lord and Savior. If sound doctrine teaches Jesus and false doctrine doesn't, false doctrine leads us down a path towards one unfor- towards the one unforgivable sin. So if we aren't fixing our eyes on Jesus on a daily basis, we must be fixing our eyes on something else. Verses, anybody have anything to share about that? Verses 12 through 14. I'm going to try to get through all this in the next seven minutes. 
I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. So Paul recognizes that it was Jesus that changed him. Apart from Jesus, there was no good in Paul. This is the same for us. Paul gives Jesus all the credit for his transformation, but said he says he was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but he received mercy because he acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. That's an amazing testimony, and I th- I see mine as the same. I have written here, you know, in those teenage years when I decided, you know, there for a while I was going. I, I went to Catholic school from first to eighth grade. So when you're when you're ten, you're you're not rebellious yet. So I probably enjoyed it at that time. But then I'm fourteen, and I'm like, I don't. My life's good. I don't have any need for any of this. I, you know, got everything I need. What do I need God for? So I just walk away from all things uh, related to God or church or Jesus. Or I did go to a couple Bible studies at this other church, um, and I'm sure seeds were planted there. But in my youth, I I don't remember specifically anything that really stuck, but I'm sure it did because God does amazing things. So, moving on to verse 15. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Paul states that Christ came into the world to save sinners and stated that He was the worst sinner of all. We are all sinful, and I consider it a great place of... I consider it a place of great spiritual health that Paul considers himself the chief sinner. I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and um, we were talking about something that is obviously sin. And this person did not recognize it as sin. And this is a person that um, I hold in pretty high regard, I guess. And I'm thinking, how do you how do you not see this? How do you how are you blinded by this? But we're all blinded by sin at some point, you know. I'm I'm probably sinning in ways I don't even realize. But it just broke my heart that this person um, had no he had no conviction about it, and it made me think: Is the spirit? If you have no conviction about something so obvious. Is the spirit even in you? You know, and it just it kind of derailed me for a day or two. I mean, it obviously still got me a little derailed, but I'm gonna be working on that. If we don't recognize sin in our own lives, we often don't recognize our need for Christ. And if we aren't convicted by the Holy Spirit with our sin, is the Holy Spirit in us? Any thoughts before we go to 16 and 17? Well, I mean, even like in regards to your friend, the Holy Spirit may, they may have the Holy Spirit in them, but Satan is so crafty and has, can so easily blind us to where, after, and I always refer back to the analogy Brother Steve made with the bullfrog. Um, you know, 
if you got a pot of boiling water and you throw a bullfrog in it, the bullfrog's gonna automatically jump out because he knows it's hot and not to stay in it. But if you put him in there, turn the heat down on low and let it just slowly warm up, you get used to it and you get accustomed to it to where you no longer feel it and you end up cooking yourself to death. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, he, at one point in time, he may have had guilt, or I, I know in my own personal life, a few years back, a relationship that I was in, I, I was justifying that relationship when I knew it was not a, um, wasn't the right thing to be doing. Um, but you, then, then I became numb to it, where it was just like, oh, well, you know, I'm doing it modules, you know. I've already done it, might as well keep yeah. doing it. So, yeah. and, and, and Satan uses that correctly scheme to get you to see it as, you know, in a different light, in his light, and not in the light of like God, you know. And, but then once, you know, the scales fall off your eyes, you actually do see what I was doing and how I was thinking was wrong. And then that's when you can come back and God is there lovingly to that. You said guilt, and anytime I ever said guilt, my my Paul, whose name is Mac, would say, "Guilt is from the devil, and conviction is from the Lord." And that's a useful nugget. Yes. Lucille Hall episode they filmed uh, accidentally showed a, a, a scene from a bathroom. They had totally re, 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 reshoot that. You couldn't sell something like that on TV. And when you come from that to what you see on TV, and if that had happened the day after, it'd been a shock. Mm -hmm. But it was over many years, here several years, this you see on TV that you didn't used to see, this you hear on TV you didn't used to, and it, and it kind of cultivates, you know, visions that can be very, very dangerous. That's just an example of how subtle changes can work on I'm going to speed through the last bit. I don't even know where I left off. 16. But I received, did I, did I cover 16? No. Yeah, you, you left off at 16. Okay. But I received mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Uh, Paul again expresses his gratitude that he was saved by the king of the ages to be an example to others who were to believe in him for eternal life. Paul gives God all the glory for this. Paul is a great, exa is a great example given to us by God. He was a persecutor of the church and a murderer. And we are sitting here in this room right now studying a letter that he wrote to a man named Timothy regarding how to best serve the church. The same church where he was imprisoning and killing believers he is now leading. And it just baffles me that Jesus can transform people in that way. Moving on. 
18 through 20. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with you, with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. That verse terrifies me. <laughs> So in these verses, Paul reminds Timothy of the charge he is giving to Timothy. Paul reassures Timothy that he trusts him with these responsibilities. He encourages Timothy to wage the good warfare, which means to fight the good fight. He also reminds Timothy that some people shipwreck their faith, such as Hymenaeus and Alexander, uh, whom Paul handed over to Satan. So Paul is stating in these final lines of chapter 1 that false teachers have rejected their good consciences as they continue in the sin of false teaching. Hymenaeus is mentioned in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 16 through 19. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more ungodliness, and their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands bearing his, this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who's, who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. And as I've, as I've assembled this lesson, I've been meditating on the dangers of our culture and where false teaching exists today. And I think the biggest danger for the church in America is secularism. When people make the choice to live without Jesus as part of their life, everything around them becomes a God in their life. These people are not actively teaching false doctrine, but they passively are. The temptation of making money or work or leisure your God is all around us. And the American dream is to work as hard as possible so that you can afford whatever you want in this life. We are surrounded by false teaching, whether we recognize it or not. And it is our responsibility as believers in Jesus to teach sound doctrine. This does not mean that we are all called to formally teach within the church, but we are all called to share our faith and to let everyone else around us know that we don't worship the idols of money, power, comfort, and pleasure. We worship Jesus, the same Jesus Paul and Timothy worshiped. And final question, if anybody wants to stick around, is how long or how is this playing out in your life? This how do you see, you know, the American dream is money you know, and happiness and retirement and comfort and pleasure and whatever. And everybody other than Christians is teaching this, whether they, the culture, the culture is teaching it. There's nobody, well, I guess every, many people are actively teaching it, you know, work hard, work, work as hard as you can, you know, so that you can retire when you're 65. But that's not what the Bible tells us to do. The Bible tells us, to worship Jesus and do everything we can to glorify Him. So, do we have successes and failures in this? And because that American dream is a huge temptation for me, also, it creeps me out not not owning a house. You all own the house I live in, <laughs> you know. Because I think in 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 20, let's say I pastor this church for twenty years. And I have no equity in a home. I mean, hopefully I have money. I'm sure I will. But th these are just the thoughts. You don't want these to be your thoughts, but these kind of thoughts just 
our culture is so strong. Like I have to have, I've got to have, I got to have a million at 65 or, or I'll, or I'll just implode or whatever. It, that's so strong and dangerous. In the world and our security in the world and what the world can give us instead of having our security in just our piece of our TV. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And where we came from, you know, and now it's like there's no more there at all. I mean, I turn on the TV sometimes and as soon as the kids walk in, I turn it off, you know. It's like, I'll watch it, but I won't let them watch it. I'm like, that's not right, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's just, it's bad. I mean, I feel like I have successes and failures though, because as I as I ponder stuff like, you know, shouldn't I own a house? Because that's what everybody. It's the goal. We should all own a house. You know, when you're whatever, your house will be paid for, and what you know that these are just things that I think about. But then at the same time, throughout this whole process of essentially selling everything that we own, I've had great peace, almost to a point where it's alarming because. People will be like, when are you closing on your house? I don't know. Whenever they call, uh, what what are you all going to do about uh, uh, this or that? It's really freaking my parents out, I think, maybe. Now, what what about, uh, because we own own a building in town, too. I kind of hate that these are recorded. Can we edit out from 803 on? Yeah, (laughs) throw that thing as well. but just many, 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 many of the questions I've received about this whole process of coming up here and pastoring this church, everybody's first questions are all worldly questions. Like, uh, I'm trying to think of the most annoying ones. Uh, is Heather going is, is to keep her dog room business going? I hope not. But it's such a good business. We're just fueling people's idolatry of their dogs. Dogs are the biggest, pets are the biggest idols in people's lives. Y'all are guilty. Somebody in here is guilty of it. Is Heather going to keep it? I hope not. I don't want to do that. She doesn't want to do that. Just fueling people's idolatry. I'm, I'm, I'm being a little tongue-in-cheek or whatever, but it's funny how that's what people's mind gravitates to. Like, all I... It's great that you're going to go uh, attempt to dedicate your life to Jesus. But what about that dog room business? I, mean, I don't know. You know, so I've had great, I have, there have been successes, you know, of, of there's been fruit, of peace and joy, like where I'm not worried about these things. But then there's days where I'm like, oh, crap. But you just gotta remember one thing. You came into life with nothing. Nothing. You're gonna go out with nothing again. That's right. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, I think that's. Whoever is out the house at 80 years old or something like that is. Can't take care of it. Amen. Well, I guess my point is like you can have 20 days of not worrying about the American dream and then one day it just comes back and it's like, oh, crap, I'm not saving enough money for retirement, you know. Uh, okay, so I guess. Play mind game. Yeah. yeah, yeah. 
that spiritual warfare is a real thing. But we thank you for taking that step of faith and putting your... Well, I'm excited about it. The joy far outweighs the yeah. the <coughs> negatives. <Fear. coughs> I really haven't had any much fear about it. And, it's, and that kind of peace is unexplainable. And people that have never experienced that kind of peace, it's, it's hard for them to battle because they, it's, you know, they, it's not tangible. They can't, you know, 